happened on July 4th, so the theme of freedom was not intended for that. It's just the way the, the book flows. That's where we are. So I hope you enjoy what we had to say. For those of you that are visiting and haven't been with us uh, for the whole series, just a brief recap of what we've already talked about. It's particularly relevant to this morning's study because Paul has been building uh, to this culmination, if you will, that we find in Galatians chapter 4. And so just a quick recap of what we find in the book of Galatians, which the book of Galatians, as we talked about, is a plea by the Apostle Paul to these churches in this region of Galatia. A group of people that we call the Judaizers were coming in and trying to take these Gentile Christians and force them to take part in the law of Moses, or at least parts of it, in order to be, quote unquote, real Christians. And so part of that happened by them discrediting Paul's uh, apostleship. Part of that happened by them saying, if you want to be the true children of Abraham, you got to follow the law of Moses. And Paul refutes all those arguments. We, talk, we talked about these two verses here, these two passages, which sort of encapsulate the message of Paul in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 1, 6, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so he concludes there in chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with yoke of bondage. And not to spoil the end of today's sermon, but we're going to end with this passage in Galatians 5 today as a culmination of Paul's argument, his plea to them to stay true to the gospel. We talked in part one of our series about how there's only one and only one gospel. Paul had to defend his apostleship to these people. The Judaizers were saying Paul's not a real apostle. His message was not from Jerusalem. Um, He talked about there's only one gospel. We talked about obedience. Part two, we talked about being crucified with Christ and how that means to be we're in step with the truth of the gospel and what that reveals to us about the gospel and its nature and how it's perpetual, how it's transformative, how it's certain in our lives. Part three, we talked about being children of faith and promise and how that we're justified by faith, just as Abraham was justified by faith, and how that faith is based in the gospel, which is a result of a changeless promise that God made to Abraham, and how that the purpose of the law was to lead Israel to Christ and show them their need for him. In part four, we talked about being divinely adopted into the family of God and how that gives us a sonship or makes us legal heirs in God's kingdom and his family. And how that when we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ or rather to be clothed in Christ. And the implications of that as far as our closeness and our intimacy with Christ, our acceptance with God and things like that. And how all that makes us all one in Christ. There's neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. All the barriers that separate us in this world and our roles and responsibilities are shattered by the gospel. And we're all one in Christ. And so all that leads up to the message of Chapter four, which is freedom from bondage. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides us freedom from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of the law of Moses. And so as Paul begins in Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse one, he says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So he begins continuing an analogy he's already started with this child being the heir of a family, the heir of his father's estate. He said that child is basically, though one day he will rule this estate, is basically no better than a slave, no better than a servant, because he's immature, he's irresponsible, and he's under guardians, he's under tutors, he's under teachers. People show him how to use these things wisely and teach him responsibility and the importance of these things. 
And this is something he referenced back in chapter three when he says, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which should after be revealed. There was the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. So that's the role of the law of Moses was to act as that guardian until the time was right for Christ to be revealed. And so that child is not ready for responsibility until his father says, yes, you are now ready for your inheritance. And we see when Jesus talked about the prodigal son, we, we saw a man who wasn't ready for that inheritance. He wasn't ready for that responsibility and he misused that. So Paul is using that analogy here until the time appointed by the father. So Jesus coming into the world, the fulfilling of the gospel, the promise that he'd made to Abraham was at a point in time that God had determined was the right time. He says, even so, when we were children, we're bondage under the elements of the world. Now, he talked about the, the, the Jewish nation being in bondage to the law of Moses, being kept in guard under that law. Now he's talking to the Gentiles. He's saying, you Gentiles were under a similar bondage, not necessarily the law of Moses, but rather the law of sin in the, the, the worldliness of this, of this life that you took part in, the bondage that you had in sin, that's what you were in bondage to. But it basically comes down to the same thing. I know we keep finding ourselves going back to the book of Romans in this series, but they're, they're so linked, it's important that we do that, I think. In Romans chapter two, when Paul is talking about the fact that we're all under sin, he says in verse 12, as many of us have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. He's talking about the Gentiles there. They don't have the law, they're gonna perish without the law. But then he said, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. There he's talking about the Jews because the Jews can't keep the law perfectly, so therefore they're gonna be judged by the law. And so he talks about this, this sort of natural law, if you will, this law of the conscience is what he's talking about here. He says, not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified, but only if you do it perfectly. That's his point there. When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And so he's talking about the conscience here. And he's saying, yes, the Gentiles didn't have the law of Moses. They weren't bound by especially all the ritualistic laws. But the laws that really matter, the way the, the moral laws that we think about when we think about the law really he says, you know, the Gentiles, they've got a conscience. They know right from wrong. God puts that into our hearts as his creation. We know it's wrong to kill. We know it's wrong to steal. We know it's wrong to commit adultery. We know it's wrong to lie. And what he's saying there is, listen, the Gentiles kind of had that law to themselves, the law of their conscience. And when they obeyed those things, they were in essence obeying the law. And when they disobeyed those things, they were in essence disobeying the law. But it all comes down to the same thing. And that is we're all under sin. We're all in bondage to sin, whether you're a Jew or you're a Greek. And so he says in verse four, when the fullness of time had come, we're back in Galatians four, verses, verse four through five here. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Two things about this passage. The first is when the fullness of time had come, God decided the time was now. It was the time that he had planned, the time he had set for Jesus to come to the world. You know, Jesus talked about scripture being fulfilled in Luke 24, 44. He said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You know, some of the things that had to be in place were fulfillment of prophecy. Those things had to be in place for Jesus to come. And the time was right for that, for Jesus 
for the, the, the things to already be fulfilled and for Jesus to come and fulfill everything that had been written about him. And the time was right for that. But the fullness of time, you know, that can include other things like, you know, that was just when, when the nation of Israel, uh, when the world was primed for the message of Christ. You know, there had been 400 years of silence, no messages from God, no prophets, and all of a sudden the world is ready to hear the message of Christ. You had the Roman Empire who were modernizing the world and there were roads and there were methods of travel. The gospel could spread quickly. All these things could have come together. At the end of the day, it just comes down to the fact that it was God had appointed that time for it to happen, for him to come into this world. But notice this, the second thing I want to notice, he was born under the law, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That's important. Because in order to redeem those who were under the law, to free them from the bondage of the law of Moses, he had to be subject to the law of Moses. And he was. And he fulfilled that perfectly. And that allowed him to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, that we might be adopted into his family. You know, we talked a little bit last time about the benefits of sonship and what it means that we are legal heirs with Christ. And here's another benefit of that. He says in the next verse, verse six, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Remember that word, Abba, Father, that in, indicates intimacy. It's like me saying, Daddy, please help me. It's the closest that we have because we're family. We're his children. And he says in verse seven, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So this concept of freedom he's bringing out here. You are no longer a slave. Being adopted into God's family sets you free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of the law. Adoption equals freedom. Jesus talked about this too in John 8, 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will make us free? So the Jews he's talking to here, these were Jews who believed on him, and he's trying to teach them about the gospel, he says, I'm going to set you free. They're like, wait a minute, we're, we're the descendants of Abraham. We've never been in bondage. And of course, I don't know how far back they were thinking. I guess they forgot about Egypt, maybe. I don't know. But they, how are you going to make us free? Well, he tells them how. You will be made free. Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. We're not talking about physical bondage. We're not talking about actual slavery. He said, if you commit sin, then you're a slave of sin. And as a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The gospel sets us free from sin, provides that freedom. Becoming legal heirs of God through our faith in Jesus frees us from the bondage of sin, whether that's actual just sin or whether it's the law of Moses. It all comes to the same thing. We're all people in bondage to sin. So it allows us to abide with God as an heir of God through Christ. So now Paul is turning back to the Galatians. And he's asking them this very important question. Why are you wanting to return to bondage? Why do you want to go back to slavery when you've acquired freedom in Jesus Christ? He says in verse 8 of Galatians 4, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it then that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again, to be in bondage? Fair question. You've had this freedom. You used to serve these things, and then you gained freedom, and now you want to turn back again. Now, notice the important part here. 
He says, but now after you have known God, or rather you are known by God. Now he's not saying, well, I didn't really mean that you can't know God. What I really meant was that you're known by God. What he's saying is more importantly, you know God, and more importantly, you are known by God. You are known now as his children, his legal heirs. Now that you know that, why do you want to return back to bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and he says, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored in vain for you. All the time I spent preaching the gospel to you, all the work that I put in, and now you're leaving that freedom behind to go back to Egypt? Some of you may remember Brother Danny gave a lesson, it was a couple of years ago now, about going back to Egypt, about how we as human beings naturally just want to neglect the things that are best for us for the things that are less and the things that are worse for us. And so we read about in Exodus chapter 14, 11, the people, the children of Israel, as they leave Egypt and they're up against the Red Sea and here comes Pharaoh's armies and the chariots. Listen to what they say to Moses. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. They had gained their freedom And here they are, and they face an obstacle, and they look at Moses and say, we would rather be slaves than to die here. That's exactly what the churches in Galatia were doing too. They were neglecting the gospel. They were neglecting their freedom to go back into bondage. And the the ironic part about that whole thing with the Galatians is they were Gentiles in the first place. They were never in bondage to the law of Moses. And here they are trying to say, oh, we, we never got to be slaves under the law. Let's see what that's like. Why would you give up your freedom for any kind of bondage. They had a change of heart. Paul talks about the way that they treated him when he was there. In Galatians 4 and 12, he says, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. And you've not injured me at all. Now, first of all, what he's saying here is, listen, this isn't about me. And as you read through the book of Galatians, it's evident that Paul is offended. It's evident that he's angry. But he's not angry because they've insulted him or that he thinks he's less in their eyes or he's less important or he's had his feelings hurt and feels like he's not important to them. He says, you haven't injured me at all. This is all about you. You've injured yourselves. I don't want to have labored in vain in the gospel. You know, he talks about in Galatians 2 and 6 about how those that seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. And Paul didn't show personal favoritism. It didn't matter to him what people thought about him. He was trying to to get these people to hold on to their salvation and not throw it away and go back into bondage. He says in verse 13, you know that because of a physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise nor reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. You know, apparently Paul, as he was traveling to this region, he hadn't intended to stop and preach the gospel to these churches in Galatia. It wasn't part of his plan at that moment at any rate but he had some sort of physical infirmity, some sort of illness that caused him to have to stay there. And when in Rome or in Galatia, you preach the gospel. And he had that opportunity, but he said, you received me. In my infirmity, he says, which I guess was, could have been an inconvenience, he said, you didn't worry about that? And you would have given me your own eyes, he says here in a bit. You received me as an angel of God, as even Jesus Christ. So why have you changed your minds now? He says in verse 15, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. 
Maybe he had a problem with his eyesight. We don't know for sure. Don't know if this is the thorn in the flesh that he prayed about in other places. We don't know for sure. All we know is he had a problem. They received him and treated him as if he was Jesus Christ himself. But he says in verse 16, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? These Judaizers come in and start teaching you false doctrine and telling you that I'm not a real apostle. And all of a sudden you believe them and now I'm your enemy. And remember, it's not about Paul. He's saying, it's not about me. You haven't injured me. You've injured yourselves. You're harming yourselves because of this change of heart that you've had. You know, it reveals a lot about false teachers, what's going on in these churches. One of the marks, one of the biggest marks and indicators of false teachers is this idea of selfishness and what they're getting out of it. He says in verse number 17, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. This is all about these Jews wanting to feel like they're important and them alone. They want to go back to the exclusivity of being God's chosen people. He says, they don't want to help. Now, they're courting you zealously, but it's all an act. They say they care for you. They say they want what's best for you, but really, they just want to exclude you, and they want you to be envious of them. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 2. There were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And he talks about these motives. He said, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were denying the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, and bringing in these destructive heresies. He says, in verse two, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Listen, verse three, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Why are they wanting to exploit them? Why are they trying to be deceptive? Because they're covetous. They have some selfish desire or gain that they want to have in their own lives. They don't care about the people they're teaching to. It's all about what they can gain. That's the mark of a false teacher. He says in verse 18, back in Galatians 4, verse 18, it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, but not only when I'm present with you, I want you to do this even when I'm not there, he says. My little children, for whom I labor in birth, again, until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and change my tone, for I have doubts about you. ESV says, I'm perplexed about you. I just don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand your change of mind, your change of heart. And he says, I'm like a a woman who's laboring in birth. Now the ladies are saying, he doesn't know what it's like to be give birth. Probably not. But you get the idea, right? He understands. He said, I'm just, I'm in pain here. I'm in agony and it's not because of me, it's because of you. I want to be with you. I understand what's going on. Why do you want to go back to bondage? So then he turns to the story of Sarah and Hagar. And I really wanted to be able to spend a lot more time on this today, but we just didn't have time to fit it all in. I encourage you to go back and and read the story of, of this back in the book of Genesis because it really really kind of brings it more into focus, I think. And we're going to reference a couple of those passages this morning, but I encourage you to go back later and and read this story and then read this again in context with that. But you know, what he's doing with this story of Sarah and Hagar is he's kind of turning the tables, if you will. Turning the tables on the the church of Galatia, the churches at Galatia, but also on the Judaizers, because you know some of these Judaizers can end up reading this letter too. You know that's going to happen. And so You know, they have this big idea in their head that, well, if you're not following the law of Moses, then you're not true children of Abraham. Well, he's already showed them that Abraham was justified by faith and the gospel is a result of the promise that God made to Abraham. But he's taking it a step further here saying, okay, 
Listen to the law. He says in verse number 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Listen to what the law says. What does the scripture say? He says, verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Now, he's setting up a, an allegory here, but he says, okay, I want you to remember the story. And we know how God had promised Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore. You're going to be a great nation. And through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. He's talking about Jesus there. We talked about that a few sermons ago. All nations will be blessed. Why? Because Jesus Christ was a descendant of Abraham. And it's because of Jesus that all nations are blessed. That's the promise. God promised Abraham, you're going to have a son. Well, what happens? Well, Abraham and Sarah get up in age. They don't have any children. Sarah's barren. They decide they want to help out God a little bit. They want to give him a helping hand. Maybe God's not quite able to pull this thing off that he promised. So we read in Genesis 16, verse 1, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. So they're going to help God out. So it's happened. Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. He went into Hagar. He had a son who he named Ishmael. We understand that. But what happened a few years later? God's promise was fulfilled. This wasn't God's promise. This was the one that was born of flesh. He was born according to flesh. There was nothing miraculous or anything about the nature of the birth of Ishmael. It was just what happens. But Isaac was born to a woman who could not otherwise have had a child except God intervened. And Isaac was born according to promise. Now, before we go any further than this, listen to what Paul says next. Verse 24, which things are symbolic. Okay, so remember, we're talking about symbolism here. We're talking about allegory. And Paul is making no implications here about the moral story of what happened here. He's not talking about, he's not looking at this and saying, well, Sarah and Ishmael are bad people, and Sarah and Isaac are good people, and if you're a Judaizer, you're bad, and if you're not a Judaizer, you're good. He's not talking about those moral implications. Because both Hagar and Ishmael, especially Ishmael, were victims, innocent victims of this scheme that Abram and Sarah cooked up. They were, they were just victims. And he's not talking about anything about the moral implications of that. What he's talking about is Ishmael was born because, born of the flesh, just born because two people got together. Whereas Ishmael or Isaac was born because God promised it would happen. And so he says there, for these two, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So God gave Moses the law at Mount Sinai. He said, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. So the Jerusalem where the scribes and the Pharisees were, the Jewish leaders, the high priest, all those that were still under the bondage of the Old Testament. He said, Hagar and Ishmael represents that and is in bondage with her children. Verse 26 but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. There he's talking about the church, the New Testament. So Hagar and Ishmael represent physical Jerusalem, the old covenant. Sarah and Isaac represent the church, the new covenant. And he's just drawing this parallel. Again, making no implications about what happened in the actual story in terms of who was right and who was wrong. 
So we, we find he, in verse 27 here, he references this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. It says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. So this, perhaps to encourage them to say, you know, this is prophecy. You know, and obviously Isaiah happened after Abraham, so he's referencing what happened with Sarah, but it's also a prophecy of what's to come with the church and with the persecution that the church will endure, as we'll see here in just a moment. So he says in verse 28 of Galatians 4, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So what he's talking about here is when Isaac reached the age where he was weaned by his mother, they, they threw a festival or a feast for that and celebrated the fact that he was being weaned. And so we see when that happened that Ishmael sort of poked fun at or mocked Isaac at that, at that moment. It says in verse, uh, Genesis 21, 9, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now we got to remember, Ishmael was Abraham's son. He loved him. He was his flesh and blood too. And so we see the problems, you know, immediately when, as soon as Ishmael was born, the Bible says that, that Sarah was despised in Hagar's sight. Immediately it caused problems. Didn't have the intended effect that the plan had. And so then we see later on down the road when Isaac has, has been weaned, here's Ishmael, he's just a boy, doing what boys do, making fun of other kids. It happens all the time. Right or wrong, whatever the case may be. And Sarah doesn't like it. She's like, this, this kid's not gonna have any part with my son's inheritance. You need to cast them out. Abraham's like, man, this is my son. What am I supposed to do, just kick him out? We read that God said, you just listen to Sarah and do what she says. Don't worry, I'm gonna bless Ishmael. That's another story we're not gonna get into today. Verse number 30, back in Galatians 4. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And so what Paul is, again, in essence saying here is, listen, these people that are coming in and trying to teach you to go back into bondage, you cast them out. You get rid of these ideas. Don't let these people deceive you with their false doctrine. You've got freedom in Jesus Christ. Why in the world do you want to go back to bondage now? A bondage that you were never required to do as a Gentile, why would you want any part of it now? The Jews couldn't do it. Why do you think you can? We are children of freedom. Verse 31, so then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. When we're born into Jesus Christ, when we're born again through the water and the Spirit, we're not born into bondage. We're born into freedom. All the arguments that Paul's made up till now, all coming together. Don't you realize the one and true gospel teaches you this, that you are crucified with Christ, that you're buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, and that you're a children of promise. Your salvation is a result not of your obedience to any law, it's a result of your faith in Jesus Christ. And you've been adopted into God's family. And you receive the blessing of sonship as legal heirs. And you gain freedom from the bondage of sin. Why do you want to go back to that? 
And so he concludes in Galatians 5, verse 1, stand fast, therefore. Therefore, because of everything that we've talked about up until now, you stand fast in the gospel. Stand, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't go back to bondage. You stand fast in the liberty that Christ has given you. Verse 2, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You want to be circumcised? You think that's the way to go? Guess what you got to do? You got to do it all. All 613. You got to do it, and you got to do it perfectly. You know why? Because Jesus can't help you. You going back to bondage, Jesus profits you nothing. Everything that you've heard, everything that you've received, everything that you've obeyed, it's all been for nothing because you want to go back to bondage. And you become estranged from Christ. You're a stranger to him. You who attempt to be just by the law, you know, people don't like this phrase, you've fallen from grace. They don't like to hear that, probably because it scares them, and it should. You want to go back to bondage, whether it's the bondage to the law of Moses. That's probably not a problem for anybody in this room today, I'm guessing. Nobody here wants to obey the law of Moses. But we're talking bondage to sin, ultimately, is what we're talking about. Being overtaken and overcome, entangled in a yoke of bondage. Why would you want to go back to that? To those of you who've never escaped the bondage of sin, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? There's never a better time. Take the steps that are necessary to do that. Believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, to repent of your sins, confess his name before this audience, and be buried with him in baptism. Become a child of God today. The one and only gospel is the only thing that can save you. That one gospel that allows you to become crucified with Christ. To leave, your old, leave that old man behind, his wants, his desires, the things that he or she wants to do. You're now crucified with Christ. And the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. Do that today. Be justified by your faith in God. And don't trust in your own ability to save yourself because you can't do that. But instead, be divinely adopted into the family of God and receive the blessings of a legal heir with Christ and the freedom from sin that that gives you. You know, we're all about freedom, aren't we? United States, today, we're all about freedom. We take a day off work. I get tomorrow off work because today's Independence Day. The Fed's closed, so banks and credit unions are closed. So Lane likes that too, don't he? We're all about freedom, aren't we? We'll stuff our faces with hot dogs. We'll spend our paycheck on a bunch of fireworks that we're just going to burn up. All about freedom. Why do you want to hang on to your bondage of sin? Why not be free in Jesus Christ this morning? If you want to obey the gospel, if you need the prayers of the church, please have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.